We're going to talk about everyone's favorite topic. We're going to talk about money for the next next few weeks. No one, no one agreed with me. I got no amens, nothing. Um, so we're, we're talking about money. Why are we talking about money, Jared? No one wants to talk about money in church. We're talking about money because Jesus talks about money more than heaven and hell combined. It's important. Um, it is important because I think Jesus knew, God knew, ever since Adam and Eve left the Garden of Eden, where everything was provided for them, the propensity to try to hoard for oneself was going to happen because that unknown happens. When you have a tree there, you're like, oh, apple, good. You don't have to worry about raising funds. You don't have to worry about you know, saving for a rainy day. God's got you right there. When you are out of that, the propensity to hoard starts to get a little stronger. And so Jesus is talking all the time about money. It's all throughout the Bible. Uh, and it's important because I think Jesus knows that the battle is not going to, the spiritual battle is not going to be between Satanism and Christianity. It's going to be between materialism and Christianity. And that's a pretty uh, profound thing. Uh, you know, we don't, not really, the satanic church is not really the, uh, the threat to Christianity, but um, the love of money, I would say. Is. And so we're going to talk about that a little bit um, for the next couple weeks. And uh, I know some of you are bracing yourselves. You're like, okay, here comes the guilt trip. If you were here last year throughout the, the money series, there's no guilt involved. Uh, that guilt is not what we're going for. We're going for a spirit of generosity. And so you can kind of let your armor down. It's okay. This will be enjoyable, hopefully, for you, okay? Um, I remember as growing up with the son of a preacher man, uh, my dad hated preaching about money, hated it. He would get mouth sores and, uh, and just be cranky. We like, if it was money week, mom would like, Jared, he's preaching about money this week. I knew, you know, just do everything good. Come home on curfew time that week, right? I could fudge 15 minutes the rest of the time. Money week, mm-mm, 15 minutes early. Just don't, don't play, don't play, right? And so it's, it's kind of a stressful thing for pastors because they don't want to be painted in the, the picture of that all they want is money. Because I'll be perfectly honest with you, 100% of my salary comes from you all, right? That causes a stressful environment about the whole money thing. 100% of how this church is run, 100% of what we do comes from this church. We don't have a sugar daddy somewhere else giving us money. It is all us. In fact, we are the fourth, our our church of 110, 120 people is the fourth largest contributor to the state of Illinois ministries. That's really wonderful. But this is who we are. That's a generous people that we are. And so I just want you to know, if you're new to the church, you wonder how that all works, look, 100% us. This week we had somebody bless us, um, the food pantry, just brought in pallets of it, uh, of food to stock the, the hope box back there. It was wonderful. And and just this, I know the Operation Christmas Child, these boxes are going to start flooding in. It's going to look like a shoe carnival exploded in our, in our lobby. And I'm excited about that because of the, the generosity that we have. And so we're talking about money in this spirit of generosity here for the next few weeks. And we're talking about how to be rich. Because uh, I think all of us, if we thought about it, if you said, Adam, would you like to be rich? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be mad if I was rich. I said, how do we, how do, we uh, do this? <laughs> His wife says he would like, it to be, uh, like him to be rich too. That's funny. Uh, 
And so as we explore that, uh, with that stress, I just want to be perfectly honest with you. Uh, I listen to lots of pastors and their sermons on money. Uh, because I'm like, okay, how do they, they talk about it? Because you, you got to talk about it and there's only so many ways you can say it. So how I want creativity in this stuff. So I've, I've listened to some big names at uh, Andy Stanley. Some of the points in this message come from him. He's doing all right. He's only got like 60,000 people in his church. You might have one or two things to say, right? God works through him a lot. Uh, it's really cool. Chris Hodges and some other guys. Um, so if you listen to sermons online uh, on your own time, that's fabulous. You go, wait a minute. I've heard this before. I might've stole it. I'm giving a bibliography right here. It's all right. So works cited page uh, is complete. I'm just be honest with you, uh, especially when talking about money. I want to have as much integrity as possible again. Um, I think that's appropriate. Um, the, the text that we're working off of for the next couple of weeks is one that we uh, discussed in our men's group on Monday night. I uh, had a great time with this. Uh, turn to 1 Timothy 6. First Timothy 6, verse 17. Now, this whole chapter really is about money and rich um, people uh, and how they're supposed to work. And so uh, the whole First Timothy is all about <clears throat> how to be a leader, uh, how to be the leader specifically in the church. But this is uh, talking about uh, money. Command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything from our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves and a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Now, I think it's interesting the way in which we just ended the political season, can I get an amen? Uh, no more political ads. Hey, I mean, I even have DVR and I'm tired of the stupid things. I can fast forward them. Uh, but that's just, you know, I'm tired of that. But it seems like we pick on this idea of rich. Um, you know, parties will attack, oh, they're trying to hurt the rich or they're trying to help the rich or they're trying to do this and the rich. And the rich become this faceless thing in the in the media world and we just attack it. And what does this look like? Well, Paul, writing to Timothy here, says, be rich in good deeds. If you can go back one slide, Kevin, that'd be fabulous. Be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. This is the command. He's saying, command them to do good. I think that's always interesting because Timothy's probably a 19, 22-year-old. He's somewhere early 20 guy trying to train a church. And he's like, Paul says, hey. Command those rich people to do this. Okay, Paul. <laughs> so you can hear his voice crack. You know, and, and, but command him to do this. Be generous and willing to share. Um, for the next several weeks, we're going to work on this idea of being rich. How can we frame our lives in a way in which God's riches are what we are and, and not about man's riches? One thing about rich people is they do not like to admit they're rich. If I asked every single one of you today when you walked in this church or show of hands, we're not going to do this. Don't raise your hand because that would be awkward. Uh, but are you rich? And if, oh, oh, pick me, pick me. You know, that's, people are like, no, no, I'm not rich. When asked, a bunch of surveys were done of people who, uh, their salaries and said, okay, what do, what do you think is rich? What would it take to make you rich? People who made $45,000 a year picked the number $75,000. 
If I made $75,000, I would be rich. Some of you in here are like... <laughs> 75,000 uh, dollar uh, income earners picked the number 150,000. If I made 150,000, I'd be rich. Some of you are like, mm-hmm, they're rich people. 150,000 dollar people picked 250,000. When surveyed in Money Magazine, apparently rich people read Money Magazine. I don't. I don't. We'll just <laughs> just go throw that one out there. Um, they picked the number five million dollars. That's what it takes a year's salary to be rich. I'm telling you, if you made five million dollars a year, you would be rich. That's, there's no ifs, ands, and buts about that. You'd be rich. However, that's, that's the number they pick. So where are they at? Are they at the $2.5 million a year? Or I, don't, I don't know how that works. But the answer was, what makes you rich? To everyone was more. That was the answer was more. At 45, 75... It just keeps on going up. More was the answer, not uh, what we have. I bet no one in there was like, less than what I make would make you rich. You know, the, the, the 75K earner was not saying, ah, if I had 50, I still would be rich. That, that did not happen, I guarantee you. But rich people don't like to admit they're rich. Second Corinthians 8, 9 says, You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, Yet your, for your sakes became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. God, by very definition of rich, is the richest. He has ownership over everything. And so in this attitude, in the way in which he acts, is he does the reverse of what we all think of in this money grab of life. It's he says, you know, I have everything. I have dominion over th- everything. But now I will... Set it aside. And this is the example that he gives for us. Another thing about rich people is the more money a person has, the less proportionally they give. My dad, um, when we lived in California, my dad and my mom, uh, they tell a story all the time, would drive around the really, really, really nice neighborhoods of Southern California and say, those people must be really unhappy. And just, just those people must be really unhappy. Uh, it's just funny, uh, but there, but there's the idea of they're they're really trying to seek after something um, else. And but I thought this was really interesting. The more money a person has, the less proportionally they give. So the more money that you're you're bringing in, the less generous you are with it. This goes. You know, we've all done the thing where we're hoping to buy the lottery ticket that wins because if I buy that lottery ticket. You know, that much money I'm going to just give away, and I'm going to give away, and I'm going to provide college for X and Y and Z. And We all played that game in your head. Even if you don't play the lottery, you're like, if Ed McMahon calls, come on! Right? We, we all did it. Uh, the more money a person has, the less proportionally they give. This is interesting. And to Americans, this should be kind of a wake-up call, because we got more money than anybody else does. We got more things and funds and stuff than anybody else has. Uh, the Clarks went to Spain lately, uh, just a couple weeks ago. And I've been to Europe too. And if you've been to Europe and you've gone through any of the old churches, it's a very weird, surreal experience because you look at the gaudiness and the gold and the marble and these priceless paintings that are hanging everywhere. And you're like, couldn't we have fed somebody with that? Couldn't we have done something with that? I remember I was 18 years old and I was in Israel and I was cranky the whole stinking time. 
One, because I couldn't eat the food very much because I was really picky. But two, because there was just this gaudiness of, of stuff everywhere. And you're like, if I chipped up that like cubic foot, we could like feed Africa for a month, <laughs> right? And it's just this idea of, oh, why are we wasting this? Well, this, this kind of idea pervades and it, it seeks into our hearts, even as Christians, is that the more we accumulate, the less we're likely to give it away. And another reason for this is once we buy something, we have to get things to go with that something. Right? Have you ever bought one nice, there's an episode of Coach playing in my head right now. Okay, the, the assistant, the really the goofy, tall, blonde-headed dude, he buys a Ferrari. You guys remember this episode? He bought a Ferrari, and he's like, oh, I got a Ferrari, and he's so excited, and everybody else is... Re- Dauber, is that his name? See, the Holy Spirit is helping my stupid memory work right now. Dauber, Dauber is driving around in the, uh, the sports car, and they're all jealous of him, and he comes in, and he starts crying to coach. What is wrong? You got a sports car. I can't pay for the insurance. It's killing me, right? And we do the same thing with our, our things is we buy something cool and nice, but then we don't realize that we got to buy this. Because if I buy a nice car, i got to buy a nice garage to go with it, <laughs> right? Because I don't want a dingy, I mean, hey, there's hail out there. We cannot have this happen. And it just keeps on uh, matriculating, keeps on going on, and you all know where that goes. Rich people are plagued by discontent. Ecclesiastes 5 through 12. Those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. The more you have, the more people come to help you spend it. That's funny right there. I don't care here. Good job, Solomon. The more you have, the more people will help you come spend it. So what good is wealth except perhaps to watch it slip through your fingers? People who work hard sleep well, whether they eat little or much, but the rich seldom get a good night's sleep. See, rich people do crazy things. They will take rich people. I don't understand rich people. Rich people will take a perfectly good car, Paul, drive it to the dealership, and get another car. It's crazy. It was perfectly good. It ran. I don't understand this. Rich people will take a kitchen that works perfectly fine, refrigerator, oven, dishwasher. Rich people got things called dishwashers. Washers of phones. Nuts. And they will rip them all out and replace it with what? With what? A refrigerator, an oven, and a dishwasher. Same stinking thing. Crazy. Crazy rich people. Rich people, they got so many clothes that they build a special room in their house just to hold it. They call it a closet. Rich people. Nuts. Some rich people, I'm not going to point any fingers to my wife on this one, have so many clothes in that closet that that, that twice a year they got to change all the clothes in them. And they move all their husband's stuff out into the hall. (laughs) Rich people. (laughs) Rich people have a false sense of security. Proverbs 18.11 says, The wealth of the rich is is their fortified city. They imagine the wall is too high to scale. Rich people think money is their security. Now, having a savings account is a great thing. Having an emergency fund. If you've gone through the Dave Ramsey thing, having one to three months of your salary in savings is fabulous. 
as an emergency fund. I remember, but here's the funny thing about emergency funds. You don't want to spend them when they're in emergency. My wife, my, me and my wife had this discussion on money. It was a discussion. It was not a fight. It was a discussion. We get the bills from when we lifelined Kendall, my daughter, as a three-month-old, to the hospital. You can imagine what those bills look like. We spent a week in ICU. We get the bills. We got our emergency fund that we scraped and, and got together. And I think my car needed new tires too at the same time. So we've got, I mean, thousands and thousands of dollars of bills coming in. We got this emergency fund sitting there. I was like, I don't know how we can pay these bills. I like, I don't know, babe. How are we gonna get? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? How are we gonna do this? Well, I guess we could get in the emergency fund. My daughter was lifelined to somewhere else, and yet I was not willing to touch the emergency fund because that's where my security was. I'm thinking that when a child is taken by heli- not ambulance, helicopter to somewhere else, that qualifies as an emergency. You can use your savings on said purchase, okay? This is not a frivolous expense. You can do that. But we don't want to. And what is my going on in my heart is I, I got to have that security blanket. I got to have that little bit of money there because something bad could happen. And we get so wrapped up in that that it, it keeps us from being able to, to do anything else. We have a false sense of security when we do that because we can lose a job at any time. The most secure job in the world, you can lose it like that. It's totally out of your control. When you're rich, your security migrates from God to money. Now, I've spent some time picking on rich people, but I want to throw some facts at you. If you combined income, if your combined income in your household is $44,000 a year, you are in the top 1% wage earner in the world. 44. Top 1%. We're all one percenters. If you have running water in your house, you're in the top 10. Isn't that ridiculous? We spray water on the yard. We rich, making it rain. Now, none of you, nobody walked in and went, and I was, no one would have walked in and be like, I know I'm rich. I'm rich. We are rich by definite, by being blessed as Americans and growing up in this uh, wonderful place. We are rich. It might not feel like it every day, but we're rich. We got running water, folks. It's crazy. And hot water. <laughs> Upgrade. I couldn't, I see, I couldn't say that when I lived in Georgia, but here. See, there's a bunch of Georgia people who listen to my messages every week. I'm going to get some dirty emails about that one. <laughs> but we're, we, are, we are blessed, and we are, we are rich in, uh, compared to so many other places. I, uh, I did a mission trip, and this is weird. I went to Mexico for vacation on a, on a free trip to, to Mexico. I bummed it. It was wonderful. Um, just a couple weeks ago, and I went to one of the nicest places in Mexico, and one of the, I mean, just hoity-toity, we had a maid. I've never had a maid before. I didn't, I was like, hi, how are you doing? I like, was doing the dishes for her because I didn't know how that worked, right? And we, we did this at this, at this uh, timeshare thing that we were at. The last time I was in Mexico, I was in Tijuana building houses in the slums. Like we were in the, it was just this weird 
I couldn't believe I was in the same country and couldn't believe that this is what we were building a house for someone with no running water, no, no air conditioning, no heat, no insulation, nothing. It was just cinder, cinder blocks with stucco on top of it. That's what we were basically building someone. And the, the juxtaposition of money when I just, we went back over, I was eighth grade and I remember walking the line back into San Diego and you just can't handle the change of what it is. Even going to, you know, Carl's Jr. out there, In-N-Out Burger, the, the, you're like, what? This is totally different. My Coca-Cola is not in a bag anymore. It isn't something, you know, it just rocked my world as an eighth grader. I still remember it. And so going back to Mexico and going to, uh, going to the places I went to, I was like, whoa, this is a little different than what I experienced before. And... um we don't, I mean, we have that. You go to the south side of Chicago, there's some sketchy areas. I'm telling you what, the sketchiest area there does not look anything like the places I've been in Tijuana or Guatemala. Guatemala, I took a shower with a bowl, right, on a mission trip. Just, that was, that was and the, the, little, the little Guatemalan lady, I didn't have any shoes on. I was going to go out in the alley. I was going to take a shower in my swimsuit, because that's what you do. Um, and I was walking out there, and she started yelling at me, and it's yelling the Spanish word for mushrooms. I don't know what that is, but yelling the Spanish word for mushrooms. And I'm like, I don't know why she's yelling at me right now. And one of my friends who spoke Spanish says, uh, she's going to say, you're going to get mushrooms. What? Oh, on my feet. I'm going to get, ooh. <laughs> so I stole somebody. I went through somebody else's stuff and got their flip-flops on and went out and took my bowl, my bowl shower. This is what I did. But it was just this total mind-blown thing of how rich we are even, because we have running water. Like, I know we don't feel rich. We all have bills. We have the pressures of life. We have the kids that are, you know, when you have a kid in school, it's like, well, I got to pay for this. I got to fundraise for this. And I got to do this. And I got to do that. And it's like, I, I'm not a cash machine here. We can't push a button and create it. This, my Xerox does not print money. They, get, they frown at that, I'm telling you. But we, but we are so blessed with other things and with who we are, and, and we are blessed financially here. So how do we frame, if we are technically, I guess, rich, if we have been blessed beyond measure by just the sheer blessing of being born in America, in the United States of America. How do we have the right attitude in this? How do we hone our senses, not to get caught up in this money game, but to have the right generous attitude? Being rich is not about how much money you have. It's about how you use the money you do have. First way is, I will be grateful I will be grateful. Don't be guilty. Be grateful. I don't want to beat you up. I want to show us a way to be generous and to be, have gratitude in what God has poured out on us. Giving shouldn't have to have a strong arm tactic. It shouldn't be out, be out of ab- obligation. It should be out of gratitude. God, look at all the stuff you've given me. I have running water. Oh, my goodness. I've got heat. I didn't have to chop wood until my arms fell off to be able to light the furnace. Some of you may have chosen that. Good for you. But I didn't have to do all these other things because, God, you've blessed me in so many different ways. Out of gratitude. David does, uh, says this basically in First Chronicles 29. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, 
is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and to give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. I think this is beautiful. What David is doing is he's prompting, he's leading the whole nation at the temple as king. He's saying, listen, gang, we give God everything. And we'll talk about this a little bit more in in a couple minutes, but... David is setting the precedent of saying we are generous because God gives us, we give. It's all his. And as I was thinking about this message this week, I was thinking about Bowen playing Legos. Now, my son loves playing Legos, and he got Legos last Christmas. And if you remember, we all died at Christmas we all got the flu, right? I know all you did because church attendance was like four. <laughs> we, all, we all got the flu. At there. So Bowen was, got the flu shot. He was okay. Him and Kendall, the only healthy ones in the house. All the adults are looking like zombies. And Bowen's playing Legos, but he, he's never played with Legos really before. The small ones. You know, the big ones, you can build a square, and that gets the end of your creativity. But you get the small ones, fun stuff starts to happen. And you can start doing all kinds of things. And so I'm like, oh, he's doing it wrong, but I want to die right now. And so I have this war going on in me because I'm, I want him to see the majesty and the beauty that he can have with Legos. And so I lay down on the floor and I, I ask him if I could have some. And he looks at me real weird like, no, I don't want your germs on my Legos. <laughs> he looks at me and, and he doesn't want to give me the Legos. And I was like, buddy, I, I think I can do something fun with the Legos. I want to show you something. And he's looking at me. All right, can I, build, can I have these? Yeah, he gives me the ones he doesn't want. I got the leftovers. Right? You know how this works. I got the, 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 like, the ones that are L's, and you're like, hmm, okay. Straight line's going to be really, really difficult right now. But I got those. I got the grass piece that no one wants. You know? And so I'm building, and I build, and it takes me a while, and I, I make this airplane. And so Bowen's favorite movie is one of his favorite movies is Planes, and so I made an airplane. I was like, here, I made Dusty. <gasps> holy cow, that can happen? You know, his little square box didn't mean so much when he could see a plane that was just made out of the leftovers. And so guess what? And I'm like, here, buddy, you want to play with that? No. He hands me a pile and says, make a bigger one. (laughs) So now we start, I tear that all apart. He's like, no. I was like, no, 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 no. Wait, wait, wait for it. Wait for it. And I build it, and I've got things I can actually work with, you know? And so I was doing it, and I put wheels on it, and it's got guns, and it's awesome. It's this great, huge, big thing that you pick it up, and of course he throws it on the ground and breaks, but that's okay. It's, I, his eyes have been opened to the capacity of Legos. Why? Because he was willing to give back to me, who had the capacity to do more. Guess what, gang? All those Legos were mine. I allow them to be in my house. I bought them for him. They're mine. If I step on them one more time, they're really mine. (laughs) Right? Those are my Legos. 
And because of my experience and who I am and my creativity, I can do some fun things with Legos. And so I make the Lego things, and he, oh, I opened a whole new world to him. He wanted to give me more to see what else I could do with it. And in the awe that he gave me, in the look on his eye, if I wasn't near my deathbed, folks, we'd have Legos. I would have bought Target out of Legos. Because that look in his eye of, oh, daddy fixed. You know, that, that look is priceless. All right, I hope you're picking up on the metaphor here. God owns it all. He gives us the capacity for this. And only when we will relinquish what he has already given us will the the beauty start to take place. And when you start to see what God can do with what the leftovers that you give him, the little that we give him, you'll get to see what he can do with the rest of it. He can make some beautiful things out of our little. But he can make some wondrous things out of our lot. Gratitude makes me more generous. When we realize we're given it all in the first place, we can give even more. I want to lead with generosity. Man, I think we need to lead our families with showing how gifts can be given. We need to lead with generosity. One of our titles as husbands and as fathers should be head gift giver. And too often we, we let our, I think, wives do all the Christmas shopping and whatnot. And Kelly takes, in my family, just on this end, Kelly takes care of most of the, the Christmas shopping. But those are things that I sneak in there. They're not in the budget, Paul. They were not passed in the family meeting. But they're those things, you know, they're those, those special things. My dad and I both share this trait. I got it from him. I, I picked it up on him. We love to adore our wives with good things. We, you know, our wives each year, my mom does the same thing with the budget. Both of us can't do math. So they're in charge of the budget. We're like, yeah, that's fine. You gave me, you know, 60 bucks for your Christmas gifts. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I still got plastic. <laughs> so- so that doesn't, it doesn't matter. It, does, it doesn't matter. And Kelly's going to be really mad when she listens to this message, but that's okay. It, do, it doesn't matter because I want to just, you know, I've worked all year and I want to bless you on a gift, a gift stuff to you. I would love to see your smile on your face. I love to give things to you. And I want so badly for my son to get that, that the, one of the ways in which we're honoring the women in our lives is we want to lavish beautiful, wonderful, nice things on our wives. Not in a sexist way, it's just because we care about you and we want to be generous to them. I think that should be one of our job description as head gift giver. David shows this in this previous verse of First Chronicles. David at the temple. What's going on here at this assembly? The context for this is they've, they've gathered around and David said, all right, we're going to build a temple. What's the temple going to look like, uh, David? We'll get to that in a second. We need a fundraiser. And he starts the whole thing out, this temple with a fundraiser. And when you do the conversion in Hebrew, David gives like a hundred tons of gold, not out of the country's treasury, but out of his own bank account. A hundred tons of gold. That's a lot. That's a big investment, right? A hundred tons. He lavishes this on it. The people are so moved by his great and huge gift that they start giving generously as well. That if we want to have a family of generosity, we have to give generously. If I want to have a church of generosity, i got to give generously. If we want to show our kids how to be generous and not hoarders, 
We've got to give generously. Acts 20, verse 35 in the message says, You'll not likely go wrong here if, you, if remembering that our master said, You're far happier giving than, than getting. Generosity leads and a heart follows. I don't know if we can have a, uh, I don't think we can have a generous heart before we have already given generously. You're not predisposed. It's kind of our sinful nature to already hoard, to already take for ourselves. You've seen this in kids. Bowen, I walked into his room this week. I'm telling a lot of Bowen stories today. Um, walked into his room uh, two days ago. There he is. He must have heard his name. Potty break. Uh, sorry. <laughs> He's right there. Um, <laughs> I'm talking about him. In his bed, and I opened the door, and he's like, because you're supposed to nap time. You're supposed to be asleep. I'm like, you're okay, buddy. You're not in trouble. Okay. I walked over. What are you doing? And he's got, he, he got in the treasure box. It's like their pirate box. It's got all the dress-up stuff, but it's got a, a billion doubloons, if you watch Jake and the Neverland Pirates. It's got all these little plastic gold coins, and, and he's got, I mean, he's just like, Captain Kid over here, and he's got him everywhere, and there's no way he can sleep on the things. And I'm, what are you doing? And he's telling me about it. It's just natural to start hoarding these things. Kindle, walk into her room, how many doubloons do you think she's got? <laughs> Zero. He's got them all hoarded. Right? And we, we do that all the time. We don't are predisposed to have a generous heart, but when we start giving, it cracks the selfishness apart. It cracks it up. I think when we start giving and you start seeing the looks on people's faces when you, when you gave them something, you don't have to see somebody's face. I wish you guys got to see the people's faces that we give food to every week. It's one of the highlights of my job. We see the same guy probably every Tuesday. He comes in. Thank you. Thank you. He's like, all right, got your box. You know, I don't want it to be wrote. You know, he's, he's working hard. He's trying. But he just needs that help. I wish you guys got to see that, that stuff happen around here, but giving starts to crack open that selfishness. Instead of putting our hope in our security and riches, we need to put our hope in God. I will put my hope in God. Proverbs 30, 8 through 9 says, Keep falsehood and lies away from me. Give me neither poverty or riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown what you say. Who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. I want to live in such a way that I'm not controlled by money. I want to trust. I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. I want to trust in God and not in money. And it's so easy to do. I understand that. I've fallen victim to it before. I don't want to trust in money. I want to trust in God. Money will solve lots of problems, but it will never solve a heart problem. Money solves lots of problems. But it never solves a heart problem. Any man who's ever bought flowers for his wife or chocolate or a ring knows that only gets him out of jail for so long. 
There's a heart issue there. Money will solve lots of problems, but it will never solve a heart problem. When we have the chains of money wrapped around us, it stifles our heart, it suffocates us. Kendall, this week, awoke me with this blood-curdling scream. Everyone loves those moments, right? When your daughter's just... Like, there's either a big spider or someone's legs are cut off. You know, this is the only two options. And we are... I, you know, Kelly doesn't stir on the bed. And I jump out of the bed and I run down the hall. What is going on? She's holding up her toe at me. I'm like, what is wrong what is going on? A splinter? And what, what could happen? There's one little thread on her favorite blankie that has made its way around a toe. And you know she was playing with that stupid string with her toes for hours, right? But, and then she got it, and it cut off circulation. I mean, that thing is bright purple. And it is violet. I'm like, uh-oh, this is bad. And I pulled on it. <laughs> it's like, okay. So I got to cut that string because it's choking the life out of her toe. It's just a little bitty, one little string just wrapped around in the wrong spot, choked off the life. Money, if we, we mess with it, we play with it, we poke at it. It's a good thing. We all need money. We all need a fuzzy blanket that Kendall was had all over. We need to have, to have that. But it's sometimes when we treat it wrong, when we, we let it go a little too far, when we mess with the imperfections, when we push it too hard, it wraps its strings around us and starts to choke the life out of us. For some of us, we found, we're at the end of our rope, and we found ourselves just stifled and choked and wrapped up because of what money's doing to our hearts. When we put money in the right perspective, it starts to cut these chains and these ropes and these strings from our hearts. Jesus' redemption of our life is the only thing that solves these heart problems. We've all messed up. We've all probably lied and stole and cheated to get more money at some point in our life, whether you were five and it was a Snickers bar or it was cheating somebody out of a trading card, baseball card, when you were seven. This is a litany of things that I've done in my life, right? Whatever that is, or maybe it's in your job when you know if you upsell this person, they don't even need it, but you need to meet the quota because your boss is... Whatever these things are that you've sold your integrity out for more money. Every time that happens, it's like another chain. It's like another rope tied around our hearts, keeping us from a generous lifestyle. Jesus offers us a new page and a new story. A story in which money isn't the focus. A story where how to get ahead and the pressures of of money isn't the main character, but a life of redemption is the plot line. A story in which grace and gratitude are the characters. Jesus invites you to the story today. He invites you to a new kind of life. A life where you don't have to have chains in your hearts anymore. A life where you don't have to be wrapped up in the junk anymore that you can be liberated from it. As the band comes forward, will you pray with me?
God, I ask you to bless us with wisdom. I ask you to move in our hearts in a way that we can only be gracious. God, I ask you to release us from the bondage, from the slavery of money. God, that we would have you be the focus of our life and not a dollar, not a savings account, not an IRA. Some of us right now are so stressed, are so pent up over our financial situation. God, I ask you to release that of us, that we can come running into your hands and not into the bank account's hands. God, that you would hold us, that you would take us, that we could find our peace and our security and our hope in your love, in your future for us, and not in money. God, I ask you to break these chains. God, for those of us who are, who are struggling, who are hurting, who, are, who know we're so wrapped up we can hardly breathe, Lord, I ask you to give them fresh air. I ask you to break these chains. That this week starts a new kind of life, a generous life, a life of gratitude, a life where they, they can know all that you've given them. God, sometimes it gets so hard to see how you are blessing us, how you are giving to us, how, how you have given us anything. Lord, can we just take pleasure in the, in the beauty that you've surrounded us with? Can we see your blessings in the small things? In the fact we have running water. In even the clunker car that we drive. God, thank you for it. Thank you for the abilities. Thank you for the talents that you've given us. Lord, we love you. We ask you to be Lord of our life again. Not money but you, Jesus, the author and the perfecter of life and faith. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.